0: Last week, I got in trouble because I had not watched any Mister Rogers Neighborhood episodes or seen the movie, and I am happy to report.
1: Wait, you've never seen Mister? How did I miss that? you would never seen Mister Rogers? Did you guys talk about this after I left too?
2: It was in the last section.
0: So I went to Redbox and I rented A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and Nate and I watched it, and it was phenomenal. <laughs> Welcome to the Barely Saved Podcast, where we have the discussions
2: real Christians don't have. Here's your hosts.
1: I'm Rebecca. <laughs> I'm Lindsay.
2: And I'm Caleb.
0: I apologize if my crunching toast comes through on my <laughs> microphone. <laughs> I'll try and like sit back here when I'm going <laughs> to take a bite.
1: <laughs> so I'm glad the, the, one, the microphone I have, I can just like mute it on the microphone itself. And so I can like drink water and not have you guys hear me spill it all over myself.
2: That's true. I would have to go to like two places in order to do that. So I can like mute it so you guys can't hear it. But I still have to pull it out when I edit.
1: I have an actual physical mute button on the microphone. It's pretty nice for that.
0: That would be helpful. So I am welcome back to the podcast because I've seen the movie of Mr. Rogers.
2: So we are less than two weeks away from a presidential election that we're recording this. We're recording this on Thursday, October 22nd, even though it'll come out at some point this weekend. Which means it's before the debate. So when we don't talk about the last presidential debate, it's because we're not time travelers and haven't seen it yet.
0: Although I bet we can take guesses.
2: Well, okay. So the committee on presidential debates has determined that the microphones will be muted when it is not their turn. Nice. I'm so excited about that. So on the one hand, I'm excited about that. And on the other hand, I'm like, is it even worth watching if I can't watch like a total all out fight? Like, is it even worth my time?
1: It might be worth watching because it's going to be funny to watch Trump get really mad that he can't interrupt people.
2: Yeah, but if they're muting him, surely they won't keep it a split screen. Like I would think if they're muted, they're not going to have a split screen like they usually do. I bet they still will.
0: Because you can watch people's facial reactions. And I also kind of low key bet that Trump would do something like leave his podium to go like talk in Biden's microphone, you know, to interrupt. I I could see it happening.
2: It would be fun. See, now I was thinking like, I'm going to be traveling next week. I need to get work done before I go because I'll be basically gone for four days and I need to not just lose four days of work which is a horribly unhealthy work ethic, but we can talk about that in a different episode. And uh, I don't know, I was thinking, I just I don't I don't know that I have time, but I might have to set aside two hours to uh, watch a debate tonight.
1: Is it two hours? I'm just gonna wait for the transcript again. It's less rage
2: inducing. It's, it's an hour and a half usually is what the debates are. But you know, by the time I watch it and then I calm down from my outrage at the end of it, because I know I'm gonna be mad at both of them. I always am.
1: Without interruptions, I think it'll go way better for Biden, right? Because he does have a stutter. Um, And so that kind of constant interruption is going to make it makes it so much harder to speak. I think he'll probably be way more articulate like we're used to when Trump can't yell over him and stop him.
2: I haven't made it out to go vote yet. So I'm going to do that this afternoon. So by the time anybody's listening to this.
1: Voted yesterday.
2: I will have traveled to a polling place and stood in line and voted in person for early voting in North Carolina.
1: I'm so glad I live in a state where we've done mail-in for, I think, a decade now. So, like, it's we're used to it, and it's not a big deal to anyone, and no one's stressed out about it. And You can just have your ballot and fill it all out and go take it. And we dropped them off in person because we didn't want to mail them in, but we did get to fill them out before we went. Yeah. Nate and I are gonna fill them out this weekend. They're sitting here on our
2: table right in front of me. Just don't let the dog get a hold of them.
1: Right? Do they send a voter's guide to y'all too? Cause Colorado does actually a relatively good non-biased voter's guide where they give you an argument for and against every proposition that is on the ballot. So like, here's what the proponents are saying. Here's what the opponents are saying. Yeah, ours is usually pretty good. And then it has all the, like the judge reviews of everyone who's getting like recalled and stuff. The only thing that irritated me this year was in, during the
0: primaries. Like, for governor or for, like, our gubernatorial races and stuff and those things, they did not send out a voter's guide. Like, you had to go track them down
2: digitally, and that irritated me. I just, like, we don't get all of that here in North Carolina. All we got was judges. That's the only thing that we get to see.
1: It's like a blue state cares about actually informing their voters.
2: I mean, we're blue. We turned blue last two years ago, but it's it's a southern state, so, like conservatism dies hard I
1: was gonna say your founding principles are disenfranchising voters so
2: <laughs> i wasn't gonna go that far but yes mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is
1: i know but i was
0: just irritated because i wanted because then it wasn't like hey here's your online voter guide that was super easy to access it was like annoying and how you had to find different like you had to google them or find more sketchy websites or whatever to find your find your thing
2: that is what we have to go through even now although we don't have that many positions
1: We're voting on wolves, guys. We're voting on bringing wolves back to Colorado, reintroducing like they did in Yellowstone.
2: The answer is yes, that will win. Hopefully. Y'all are a bunch of hippies.
1: Yep, I'm totally a little hippie. But then there would actually be a cool chain. We're the only place between Canada and Mexico that hasn't reintroduced wolves back into their natural, like, historical range. And if we do this, then there will be a actual, like, they can actually, like, move around and, like, migrate and stuff. And there'll be protections for them the whole way.
2: Oh, you mean like you won't just have a bunch of people in Colorado shooting the wolves because they can and they're not protected? Yeah, that'd be good.
0: So, did you know? This makes it more fun because you guys don't actually know what it is
2: that I'm did you knowing. And you you haven't shared the article yet, so we have no idea.
0: To keep you guys just on pins and needles and waiting and all those things. So in California, a woman runs a mile in under 6 minutes a week before her due date at 9 months pregnant and i felt this was fitting for my life because i am not 9 months pregnant and i can't really walk a mile right now even because my <laughs> hips and such are just really angry about this whole carrying extra human thing but what was great so she was she was she was cleared by her doctors to run 3 to 5 days a week throughout her entire pregnancy. So, like, she's a runner. She does this. And her husband kind of challenged her that he thought that she couldn't do under an eight-minute mile while pregnant. So they cleared her to, like, try this. But she decided to, like, take on the challenge coming up on nine months pregnant. Like, she chose to do it basically as close to her due date as possible without going into labor. So her husband bet her $100.
2: Okay, hold on. I I take issue with that. Like, her husband bet her a hundred dollars. What is she going to do with a hundred dollars that he wouldn't have done with a hundred dollars? Like they're a married couple.
1: Not everyone shares their finances though.
2: Yeah. But like your husband and wife and there's a baby coming, like who bets a hundred dollars? All of the things that she would do with a hundred dollars. She's nine months pregnant. I would be like, I'm going
0: to go get a massage or I'm going to go get my nails done before I give birth.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's like, like fun. That's like, it's like fun money budget.
2: I just don't get that. It's like nine months pregnant, you just give them the discretionary budget if you have it. Like that, to me, is like (laughs) just give her the $100, come on. That's true.
1: Okay, so if we did that, I would always be broke and Brett would always have money because I spend it if I have it. So it could be the thing. He's like, I'll bet you my fun money for this month that you can't do this because mine's already gone. Maybe. And it's not a hundred bucks a month either. That'd be nice. (laughs) Or maybe it was just to make it interesting. So, what made this kind of funnier
0: was originally I had read that today was National uh, Mail Day, like M A L E. And I was like, oh, that'll be kind of funny to say, like, it's National Mail Day. But I misread it. <laughs> and not only is it not National Mail Day today, I was looking at tomorrow by accident, and it's National Mole Day, <laughs> like the animal. <laughs> Which does not fit with my story at all.
1: Is it like like Avogadro's number? Is that what it is? Like 10 to the 23rd?
2: It's definitely the mole day as in the unit of measure.
1: Oh, that's lame. 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd. That's one of the only things I remember from chemistry.
0: I'm on the royal order of the mole that my chemistry teacher put up on his wall. Like that's the only thing I remember about chemistry but i'm sorely disappointed that it is not the animal but anyway i just thought this was super impressive and i mean besides the maybe the questionable financial decisions of them (laughs) betting a hundred dollars while they're waiting for their child
2: but there's a video that just that feels foreign to me but that's okay I'm also not married, so, you know, maybe maybe it's normal to withhold funds from one another as a married couple. I don't know. I've never experienced marriage.
0: It's not about withholding funds, in most cases. Okay, so that's not, I shouldn't say that, because there are definitely marriages where withholding of money is a thing, and that's a whole different issue. But, I don't know, if Nate and I were doing something like that, and he bet me, it would just be like, hey, we're gonna budget $100 into your... But I mean, they didn't give us like details on the bet as far as like how they're going to settle the bet.
2: No, they don't. But it's just weird. So she did this challenge because I now I'm looking at the article a week before her due date. She ran a mile in five minutes, 25 seconds. That's a
0: great mile regardless.
1: Yeah. Like it's not like Olympic athlete kind of thing, but it's a great for like a non-professional. Like I think my best mile times when I was a runner were still not that good. I did like long distance and they were, I got close to that, but I was hanging around six minutes, but that was still like my best shape and I was not pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And which
0: part of me is like, I mean, I feel like he probably just wanted to like, kind of like brag on his wife a little bit too. I mean, he's like, i can put you a hundred bucks so you can't do it. But it was really like, when you look at the Instagram video, he's like, my wife is an absolute champion. Like, it's like, he knew, I feel like he knew that she could do it and just used that as like, I'm going to poke the bear to like, give her the motivation to to do it, like.
2: I mean, but that's what you do though, right? Like, it's like, you, you could do this thing. I know you could do this thing, but I'm also gonna tell you that you can't do this thing.
1: Oh, that is the most effective way to make me do it, yeah.
2: Because it makes it fun.
1: I'll show you that I can't, you think I can't do that? And then all of a sudden, except for from Brett, if he tells me that, then I just get mad. We had some friends we used to climb with and we had to switch climbing partners, like. We were, it was us and another married couple and like we'd sometimes go outside with him and like he couldn't belay for his wife and Brett couldn't belay for me as much because like if he told me to like suck it up and climb I'm like you're supposed to be on my side I'm scared and I want to come down So like my friend that I worked with if he told me to suck it up I'm like yeah okay I'll show you I'm not afraid and like similarly like so we had to switch partners because if we either one of us climbed with our husbands we would both get really mad at them but she could yell at me or he could yell at me but just not my husband
0: I don't know how that would go Nate and I haven't done something like that together in a while because we we would spar occasionally when we were dating because both of us have the martial arts background. So but he's significantly higher rank than I am (laughs) or was. So there were a couple times where, you know, and we were we were in uniform. We had, you know, we had padding on, but I was I had to Kind of say like, remember, sir, because we were in like formal like taekwondo style, which everybody's sir and ma'am. And I was like, remember, sir, you are not sparring a fellow black belt. And he was like, I was like, oh yes, <laughs> that's so. It's been a while since we've done that, but that was more like for fun versus like actually doing something serious together of training. So I don't know how I'd react to him like. Yelling at me with like you you can do suck it up. <laughs> I'd probably just glare at him and get <laughs> and get back at him later.
2: And, but like exactly, and that's the that's the problem.
1: But it would go to me and be like, yeah, you, okay, fine. Nope, my bravery or suck it upness is inversely proportionate to how good everyone else is. So uh, there's a thing, there's a hike here We have to like scramble up this thing and like kind of like chimney your way up it. I've gone with some of the guys from our ministry before and I was like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. I leadership some of the girls and I was totally fine. It's like if I have to be brave or suck it up for someone else, I am capable of it. But when I'm with Brett, I know he's as, com- he's as competent or more so than me. So I can like let the crazy run. And I'm like, why am I doing this? This is so stupid. What am I thinking? Versus like if I have to be the one who's like brave but, like or like we can keep hiking, we can totally do this. Like I take my girls backpacking and I'm fine. I can do the same hike with Brett, and I'm like, this sucks and I'm exhausted.
0: Lindsay, welcome parenting in that if does something or like has to face something new and if I'm there or Nate, but mostly me she will like lose her mind and not be able to be super brave which I'm like I'm the person who knows how brave you are or like how capable you actually are
1: yeah but she doesn't have to prove it
0: <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but but if I'm not there like I was bummed like two years ago she rode a horse for the first time with my my old carpool buddy and her sons, like just bareback sitting on the horse riding around, you know. And I was, it was a little bit of a pang of like, oh, she rode, she did this for the first time without me. And yet I was like, she wouldn't have done it if I'd been there. So, but that's like parents, it's like marriage and parenting and like, I'm strong, I'm fine until Nate shows up. And then I'm like, I'm no longer strong. I'm no longer fine. And I'm going to lose every emotional control that I have. Like I can hold it together until Nate shows up when something happens.
2: Well, that's all the longer you need to hold it together for.
1: Yeah, my ability to open jars has died since I got married.
0: I I apparently can't take out the garbage anymore. I mean, I can. I just don't. (laughs) So the only other like did you know thing that I just wanted to mention because of the debate tonight, and Lindsay mentioned it, is today is Stuttering Awareness Day. And so I just thought that was fitting. And it's International Stuttering Awareness Day. So it's not just national. It's not just about America.
2: Yeah, But if America doesn't recognize it, it doesn't count.
0: Anyway. But I just really thought that that was really cool. And... I'm not going to like post anything on social media about it being international stuttering awareness day on the day of the debate because somebody would take it as I'm trying to insult Biden which was not the case but I just thought that was fitting Um, and part of that is that my sister grew up with a stutter and so like I wasn't really ever part of her like journey of like really understanding it at the time but now in hindsight like hearing her share her experiences sometimes of like words that she's had to learn how to switch and like to cope with it has been, it was, it was eye-opening to learn that. So um, it was never something that I had an issue with. International Stuttering Awareness Day is today. So love your stutterers.
1: I think what's crazy is people don't seem to like completely grow out of it, right? So I had a speech impediment when I was a kid. I couldn't say my L's or my R's, which is a terrible thing when you have the name that I had.
0: And your last name now makes that also really terrible, I gotta say.
1: Yep, so it was like a fun combination. And when I'm really, really tired, it sometimes comes back and my ability to say certain letters tanks.
0: What, how would you pronounce them? It
2: happens.
1: Ws, so I was Winsy. Oh, that's really cute. Yep. my middle name had an R in the middle of it and my last name started with an R. It was super fun.
2: It's, it's really cute until you don't want it to be there. When you're the person who is fighting to try to say the letters correctly, it's not cute. It created
1: some really funny misunderstandings. So I had a bunk bed and I had a stuffed whale um, and this is back when, y'all remember when the like the whale got stuck in the San Francisco Bay? Which time? I don't remember which time, it was the <laughs> early nineties. Um, so my dad, he was there on a business trip and he brought me back this whale, it was a humpback whale. I called him Humphrey, because um, <laughs> he was a humpback whale. So he'd be Humphrey. Yep, but then I used to, ha- I had a bunk bed and it had a rail and I was not supposed to take the rail off my bunk bed because I would use it like a slide and I would knock it off the top of the bunk bed and slide down it on pillows.
2: Of course, as you do.
1: Yeah, like any like self-respecting child with a bunk bed would do with a removable rail. That's probably why they're all built in now. But I come into the kitchen. I'm like, Mom, I can't. And I also have a huge imagination as a kid. I'm like, Mom, I can't pick up the whale. It fell off my bunk bed. And she's like, she's like trying to cook dinner or something. And I'm like, no, I can't pick up the whale. And this is how my dad who just brought me back my whale from San Francisco. So she thinks I'm like being dramatic about my, my whale being big and heavy. I'm like, no, it's like this big. I can't pick up the whale. It fell off. <laughs> And I was talking about the rail on my bunk bed falling off because it fell off because clearly I didn't use it as a slide. It it fell off the bed, um, but my mom was convinced that I was talking about my my stuffed whale, Humphrey. And I spent like 20 minutes trying to convince her to come help me put the whale back on my bed.
0: So still really has the Sid the Sloth kind of um, pronunciation, if you guys have ever caught that in her in the polos like when she said hi or whatever at times and i mean i'm sure she's like she'll grow out of that eventually when she figures it out um because she can make us like she totally can without um you know but it's just i love it it's (laughs) i'll be i'll be a little sad when she actually grows out of it because it's just so cute anyway we can move on to our our next segment now (laughs) now that we've talked about stuttering and speech impediments and running
2: while pregnant All right, so we have an election coming up in just a short period of time. Woo, Woo-hoo. The other co-hosts on this podcast luckily get to just mail in their ballots and I get to go travel to a place to do that. But, you know north carolina has early voting there's like four different early voting places in our county so it's not like a big deal but what i wanted to talk about today was voting and being a christian and how those two go together and what kind of a responsibility christians in america have to vote and um just so that up people can see how shallow our planning is on this podcast we determined our topic um in the last six hours yeah we did so do you guys have any thoughts not who should i vote for because i think that's a stupid question but why should i vote
0: as a christian not versus as like a american civic duty correct? Well,
2: whatever, however you want to answer that, if you want to parse the two apart, you can. Uh, just, Just why do you think voting is important? As an American Christian, what would be the reason?
1: So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's not American, but he is Christian, but he's German. He has a great quote that says, we are not simply to bandage the wounds of the victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. And I think that kind of participation in systems like this, are a great nonviolent way that we can participate in the process of reconciliation and making things right. It is a way to make voices heard and to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. I think that's a huge part of why I take this, some of this so seriously, right? It's like, it is an ability to give voice to the voiceless and to make sure that the fatherless, widow, stranger, orphan, like the things that the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you know, the Old Testament prophets especially reference as people that we need to be looking out for. Um, the great thing about living somewhere like we do is that we get to have a say in how that's done. Um, and can participate into that, and I think it's important that we do so.
2: Good answer. All right, we can move on to our third section.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think actually I have a really hard time. I think even separating what is a good like. I agree. I agree with the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. Once you said, Lindsay, I think so much of our like civic engagement training is so like I, I don't. I don't know if I can, if I've ever separated, have been able to separate out in my brain yet. What's my like? I need to vote because I need to have a voice in my uh, in my government, or like it's a it's a privilege to be able to do so too. But I've ever really d- been able to to divorce that from why should Christians vote? Because I like it's just like a, the the civic engagement training is like so ingrained of like be a good citizen, vote, and 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 I do think that um, there is something to be said for that just because there's so many places where you don't have that privilege, whether it's in general, people don't have that privilege as much, or uh, women don't, or like certain demographics don't. And so there's a kind of a with great power comes great responsibility, I guess, to, uh, you know, quote Uncle Ben, that because we have the the, the privilege and the ability to like make our voices known, like when you use that well, and I think that is my biggest struggle is that we see when we talk about what does it mean for American Christians to vote is for the most part, I see American Christians voting in regards to their own self-interests versus for the interests of others. And that's my big qualm or like issue Okay, there's a lot of big qualms and issues, but I just think that one is the one that um, has come out more recently, I guess, where I've seen posts going around that talk about like, yeah, I'm going to vote for my self-interest, and I'm like, but as is, should that be what our like motivation is?
1: Yeah, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I seem to remember hearing that somewhere before. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was a, a post that went around Facebook that talked about it and I resisted passive aggressively. Actually, that would just be really aggressive. That's not even passive aggressive to like have just posted that Bible verse on everybody's share.
2: (laughs) Voting to me is weird, right? Specifically voting for president is weird because if Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not by definition, right? But in America, we have our system of government is structured significantly based on the Roman system, where the president has become Caesar. And so there's this, there's a difference though, we get to choose who Caesar is through elections. So there's this thing of, is our allegiance to Caesar, or to our candidate, or is it to Jesus? And I think that our Allegiance should always be to Jesus even as we vote for candidates.
1: I think that's fair because it's like what we see with Daniel, right? He serves in a relatively influential position in the empire that like destroyed the temple, right? <laughs> like it's not I think yeah, we hit on with the allegiance, right? You can work for the, the benefit of where you live, right? Like that like when Jeremiah's telling them to, you know, like plant gardens and stuff. Um and like make it make this place where you live better. Um, but at the same time you're not giving your ultimate loyalty to it. And I feel like we like to make it either too simple and too clear cut where we either stay completely out of it or we accidentally try to create a no king but Caesar.
2: (laughs) But that's unpatriotic, Lindsay.
1: You know what, I can say it's not because even the framers talk about a more perfect union, which means it is not yet perfect. And if they can make it a more perfect, then we can continue to try to make it more perfect.
2: I mean, maybe, but like to say that like your allegiance shouldn't be to America and that God is more important, that's like anti-American.
1: Okay, I'm fine with that, right? I'm actually, okay, so this is something that we might have to cut out because this deeply bothers me about the AG bylaws. We used to be conscientious objectors and now the AG bylaws say that in basically war and peace, we give our allegiance to the United States government.
2: Yeah, let's, let's pull that up. That's a fun thing.
1: And it bothers me because I'm like, so long as much like Daniel, as much as the policies of the thing do not, you know, impose upon God's, and this is where it gets complicated because I know this is when people who are okay with, you know, what was the the fancy word is the anti-miscegenation, basically like interracial marriage, people who were convinced that that was against God's law, right? And so like, I recognize that this is a nuanced thing to discuss because people will often use it to endorse their own prejudice, right? But I don't think that means we can discount it entirely. (laughs) It's like, how do we call out people's misuse of something while also wrestling with? Then it's like man the early christians we got people didn't like them because they were not pledging allegiance to rome they were accused of being like unpatriotic romans like they were freaking out they're like here we're not even gonna make it hard for you to recant right we like just they're like dedicate something to caesar so we can just move on with our lives and the other christians are like nah i'm not gonna do it right like so it's not like this is unprecedented
2: um yeah there's very few things that are unprecedented we just like to uh have a very narrow scope of what's precedented and what's not.
1: Yeah, realizing like, you know, the churches, the seven letters, right, in Revelation are all the churches with imperial cults, centers of imperial worship, right? So it's not (laughs) like this is even surprising for any of the authors of the New Testament. And yeah, I think what you're saying is like, we built ourselves up a Roman thing and we're facing the same problems. Um, And if we wanna be like the early Christians, then we're gonna be accused of at times being too patriotic for the Zealots and not patriotic enough for the Romans.
0: I have yet to be accused
2: of being too patriotic.
1: Probably in church soldiers, it wouldn't happen, right? But it might happen if you're like hanging out with like
2: super far left. I've probably accused you of it, Of kidding.
1: I'm
0: starting to think back, like, have you? (laughs) No. like no because i was already like long before i did like more research on politics it's like my disillusionment started early in college when i started taking history classes and was like oh i did not learn things and oh the things i'm learning now are (laughs) no bueno
2: yeah
1: it's a real bummer when you realize cincinnatus was actually working on behalf of the senate to like oppress the plebes not like give rights to people he was like they want they got uppity so let's stop them and you're like Dang it, Washington, that was the wrong guy to pick as a hero, even if he was the least bad because he at least went back and stopped being a tyrant. But you're like- Right.
0: Like, no, Washington, let's
2: not do that.
1: Yeah, Cincinnati is not the hero of that story unless you're rich and powerful already.
2: All right, I have found it. In, In the bylaws of the Assemblies of God of the United States, Article 18, as a movement, we affirm our loyalty to the government of the United States in war or peace. We shall continue to insist, as we have historically on the right of each member to choose whether to declare this position as a combatant, non-combatant, or a conscientious objector.
1: I recognize that exists to let military chaplains exist, but it still bothers me.
2: <laughs> right, it, it, that, that literally is why it exists. But it's interesting that as a denomination, our loyalty, our allegiance is to the government of the United States. Yeah, that seems sketchy. Yeah, and and like there's a reason it came about, right? We wanted to be able to send people to World War II because, you know, World War II, we were against the Nazis, and the Nazis are bad. We can come back to whether or not that's actually why we fought in World War II, but we wanted to send people to fight.
0: We wanted to send people to destroy the Japanese more than we wanted to fight the Nazis.
2: Pacifism of World War I was no more because they were mad at, at the Japanese and the Nazis and wanted to send people to go and murder in the name of the U.S.
1: Is it really pacifism if you're only a pacifist till you actually get punched?
2: I think it is because you're talking about 20, 25 years. That's fair. Right? Like it's a generational shift. So I would say they were pacifists. And much of that first generation of Pentecostals continued to be pacifists. But there uh, came up another generation that knew not the Lord or what he had done for Israel.
1: Oh, snap. (laughs) I love it.
2: I mean, I'm quoting judges there, but I think that's what happens, right? The Pentecostal movement, we had this position and then there came up another group that wasn't around for the Pentecostal revivals initially it was their kids and those later followers and they hadn't experienced the same things like that's that's how that works and so that's why there's shifts in ideology every generation it's what happens
0: yeah so I mean I I think that was unfortunate about our system is that it sets people up it doesn't matter like the, their vote doesn't ultimately matter often it, in particular in the presidential
2: because it
1: doesn't Almost like it was designed that way.
0: Almost like the founding fathers <laughs> knew what they were doing and.
1: And didn't actually want a popular vote to.
2: Right. All right. We have the electoral college. And so if you are in a safe state for whatever party, your vote basically doesn't count.
1: Yeah. So if you're in a free state
2: from before the Civil War,
1: your vote doesn't really count very much. And if you're in a Southern state, you have disproportionate representation because that's why it exists.
2: That's no, that's not fair. It's
1: but that's a huge part of why it exists like it does, though is it really was compromises between freeholding, like, free states and slave states.
2: Well, yes, but, like, to a certain extent, that's not the way it is anymore, right? The southern states do not have a disproportional advantage anymore. That's fair. Now the disproportional advantage is in western states. It's the Midwest. Yep. That is where the the disproportional advantage is at this point.
1: Yeah, Wyoming has less people than the city of Denver.
2: Right? So their vote is worth three times as much. And I don't know, I I don't see that as an all bad thing, right? Like, I do think that land should get some votes. This is going to make me not a very liberal person. I think that the biggest issue with our electoral college is our winner-takes-all system that is in each of the states. And it's not as much the uh, various the the land getting votes which is literally what happens
0: yeah which so like for example in in washington we have primarily you know the the western i-5 corridor determines our elections i mean gubernatorial like most of them they're they are the ones that um in general uh are going to, to to determine that same with the electoral college but if it was more of a proportional um distribution of electoral votes that makes way more sense In particular for states like Washington or California or Texas who have like these bigger areas of of one side or the other. When the entire uh, eastern half of Washington (laughs) has literally threatened to try to become its own state because they don't feel like they're represented on the west side at all.
2: Yeah. Weren't they going to call that Liberty? Wasn't that the name that they were going wanting to go with was Liberty? Yeah.
0: Which just makes me gag. Like, are you kidding? Our, our, our state, I mean, Washington, you know, when you go into like state's history, you know, Washington isn't necessarily all that exciting, but we have a lot of cool people and history and like um, tribal history and like all sorts of, that's why we have so many, you know, words that Matt is convinced are just made up.
2: I think most of us are
0: shut up. Like we have so much, so much more better like things to, to call a state or to like, it's like, really? You want to go with liberty? Are you kidding? Like what, 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 what's wrong with you?
2: My favorite thing about Washington is that the capital of Idaho used to be in Washington. So that's always fun. Yeah. Okay. So back to voting. We went on some weird rabbit trails. I'm not sure how many of those are going to stay in. And most of those are my fault. But Back to voting. What Lindsay said at the beginning of this conversation I think is really key to understanding an ethic of Christians voting. It's not just the Christian responsibility to take care of the poor. It's the Christian's responsibility to stop people from becoming needlessly poor. It's not just the Christian's responsibility to treat the sick from a pandemic. It's the Christian's responsibility to reduce the spread of disease so a pandemic can end. And it's true. It is our responsibility as Christians to do those things, to run the homeless shelters and all of those things. But it's also our responsibility to do housing projects, to support housing for people. So that way, not only are we not having to shelter people, but we can give them dignity and their own home.
1: It's taking everything. I'm just going to go there. It's almost like there's a whole system that God outlined explicitly in the Old Testament on how to deal systemically with issues of poverty and injustice and wealth disparity.
2: Yeah, but then that's my money and I don't want to give it up.
1: Well, too bad. You can take that up with God, not me.
2: Like He's the one who's like, no, but... But I don't have to take it up with God because we have elections and I can vote.
0: I do think that one of the things that we miss that, that, that often Christians do and, and maybe, maybe voting has given us this false sense of of involvement that, hey, I voted, I'm done.
1: I think we see both extremes. Right, Th- that's
0: fair. But it's like when uh, Sky Jitani's video that they just did on abortion, he talked about like, if you're only fighting abortion in the voting booth every four years, then you're not really pro-life. And I think that there's probably a lot of issues like that. Uh, on And maybe on both sides. Like, so, I mean, there's a spectrum of this, but I... I just wonder if sometimes in our, in particular, when it comes to uh, specific policies or issues, if Christians have been like, well, I voted and that's my job. And so now I'm done, essentially, with my involvement. And that's not what, that's, that's not how it should be. And yet I think we've been lulled into that a little bit.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's, that is what people have thought and acted like.
1: What's interesting for me is I often hear the people who are doing exactly that, expressing frustration with what you just said, um, because they're like, simultaneously, it's not the, they're like, it's not the government's job to do this yet. They're like convinced that voting is what they need to do. So they're like very much, and it's a weird, like a weird tension, right? Where like a lot of people that I know who are very, like where they're single issue voters, right? They are often very outspoken on their single issue while simultaneously, like, so the government needs to deal with this, my favorite issue. Right, but then if you talk about dealing with poverty or racism and all that stuff, like, oh, well, the government doesn't need to do that. That's the church's job.
2: Okay, so I have a theory on this. Okay, give us your theory, Caleb. So this is a theory that I have not written out yet because I've still not fully formulated it, but I said it on a polo a couple of weeks ago about the difference between systemic and individual sins. So I always find it interesting that Christians are ready to say that, like, some sins are systemic and some sins aren't systemic and those ones that we choose that are systemic or aren't systemic are weird and arbitrary like abortion that's a national sin but not letting people come into the country or those things those aren't sins and then we have like taking care of the poor like oh only the church should do that not the government um but then there's other issues that Like abortion oh no that's the government's job to make that illegal not individuals to reduce it and so i think what happens in the minds of people in the u.s at least those conservatives is they think that whatever is legal is corporate and whatever is illegal is individual so when abortion is legal it's everybody is guilty of abortion When it's illegal, only it's the woman and the doctor. Same way with discriminating against black people. It's illegal to do that technically. So it's an individual sin and not a systemic sin. Let alone that there's still a system in place that's built a certain way. It's no longer the law, so now it's an individual problem. I think that is the unstated assumption that has shaped uh, conservatism. What do you guys think?
1: It's actually really similar to what we've talked about and landed. So some of our staff just talking through stuff and some of our, even some of our students, as we talk through things, realizing that like, Americans are all about our Protestant work ethic and our individual like responsibility. And so we are not good at corporate responsibility unless it's a sin that we don't personally struggle with or we don't think that we personally struggle with. So like we have, you know, talking to people who, who are very much individually quite generous. However, when asked to participate in a larger thing like dealing with poverty on a systemic level, it becomes something that they don't want to deal with in the same way. And I think it's that, pro- it's that I think that ties into Caleb's thing, because it's like this weird we've taken the idea of personal responsibility so far that we have lost any real understanding of collective responsibility if we're going to be the ones guilty of the collective responsibility, right? We like being like, those people do that. And we're OK with that collective responsibility for other people, but not for ourselves, because we don't want to be Daniel saying, Hey, I've sinned even though I've done nothing wrong.
2: I think that we're okay with like even the collective responsibility on things that we're guilty of to some extent. Like I think that we're okay with that. We just want to make those things illegal and then they're then we'll address them because it's illegal.
0: Yeah. I, I think that the root of root of that, like you're saying, Caleb, is that disconnect between legality equaling morality. And, and I don't know, that's just so much more of an American mindset than it is a
2: biblical one. Well, I don't think that's wrong, right? Like, what's legal is the morality of your country, right? You interrupted me. Okay, right, I'll, I'll stop. Go ahead.
0: Now I forget. So continue.
2: <laughs> I think that that idea isn't wrong, right? Like, what's legal is what's moral. In theory. Well, not only in theory, in practice. That's true. Okay, yeah, I can see what you, the laws of the land being, okay. The laws of the land are what's moral. As an American, breaking American law is immoral because that's messing with your allegiance to the country. The issue is that that is not the only allegiance or even the primary allegiance of the Christian. So just because the law of the United States says not to do something, that is not a sufficient reason for the Christian to not do it. Right. So I think
0: where I was going with that, now that I maybe remembered what I was going to say, is that Christians have so tied, because this is now illegal, that means the problem is solved. And that, I, I don't understand that kind of logic, because there are so many things like, great, it's illegal people still do it so clearly the problem has not been solved like you think it has so and and maybe this is the his, the history person in me saying just because a law was changed all that says is that the law changed ultimately it doesn't a law does not change culture a law does not change attitude or respect or recognizing humanity all it does is say that ac- according to this
1: governmental uh standard it's against the law. That only applies if you're talking about guns, not about abortions. In conservative mindset, that was super tongue in cheek. Cause it's like, you know, the same thing, we talk about it and we're like, no, you know, like, you know, second amendment stuff. We're like, if you get rid of this, then it's like, it's gonna actually change anything, but all of a sudden making abortions illegal
2: uh, will fix it. Okay. So part of it is this perverse idea that the kingdom of America needs to be the same in law as what the kingdom of God is. There's this idea that we need to make America map onto the teachings of jesus so why is it okay to have guns because jesus told peter to get a sword even though he also told peter not to use that sword why is it wrong to have abortion because that's killing babies and killing is wrong so it's this idea that what our laws are that our laws need to map on exactly to biblical values so that way the kingdom of the empire of america and the kingdom of God becomes synonymous. That's the goal. And so if you have broken the laws of America, you've also broken the laws of God. It's like why in youth groups back before marijuana was legal some places, the youth pastors would always say, oh, you don't want to smoke weed because that's against the law. And then they wouldn't go any further than that because there's this desire to have the laws match what's right, and that should not be the guiding principle for the Christian. The Christian should obey the law of God regardless of the law of the land, and whenever the law of the land matches what God's law is, then we follow the law of the land as well, but we always prioritize God's law above man's law, or at least we should.
0: I just think I part of In this voting conversation, kind of going back to what I was saying before is I I want to see Christians caring about the issues that they're voting about outside of the voting booth. And it seems like the only ones they care about are I'm going to go get certified on the gun range and I'm going to, you know, post things about how terrible abortion is, but won't actually like give until it hurts to help a single mom. Or a single dad, so that just I, I want to see Christians take their their role in governmental or their role in civic engagement more seriously than just
2: the voting booth every four years. All right, so to continue our conversation about voting because you know, an election is less than two weeks away. It's a thing. Lindsay, not Lindsay. Wow, that was bad. Rebecca found us an article. We found
0: Lindsay and I sound sound the same in in name or in vocal
2: inflection. No, you don't. That was just bad. No, Lindsay didn't. Lindsay didn't do anything. She didn't contribute anything to the podcast this week.
0: <laughs> That's true. That is not true, Lindsay. <laughs>
2: Rebecca found us an article from Desiring God, Lindsay's favorite person. <laughs>
0: My favorite person.
2: Which is what I was going to say was Lindsay's favorite person, but I was trying to say Rebecca found the article first, but I mixed the two together. That did not work.
1: We're judging you now, just know that.
2: It's fair. I deserve it.
1: Anyway, so we found this
0: article, and it was actually posted in one of the groups that the three of us are in first, because I don't go to Desiring God to participate in John Piper's articles very often. Because So the title of the article is Policies, Persons, and Paths to Ruin uh pondering the implications of the 2020 election. Um did I, did you guys have a chance to read it or
2: I uh read through enough of it that I think I can have a pretty informed position on what he says.
0: Someday you're going to read something all the way through, Caleb.
2: I will, but you know, like i read through till I got to where he said what about abortion and then I stopped.
0: But I think you should have continued because it got actually um
1: Surprisingly direct for Piper.
0: Right. When he says, like, he says, I think Roe is was, was an evil decision. I think Planned Parenthood is codenamed for baby killing and historically at least ethnic cleansing. And I think it's baffling and presumptuous to assume that pro-abortion policies kill more people than culture, culture-saturating pro-self-pride. When a leader models self-absorbed, self-exalting boastfulness... He models the most deadly behavior in the world. He points his nation to destruction, destruction of more kinds than we can imagine. It is naive to think that a man can be effectively pro-life and manifest consistently the character traits that lead to death, temporal
2: and eternal. Yeah. See, I didn't need to read that. I knew that that's where he was going based on what he had already said.
0: But it's still a really good quote. And so, you know, read the whole damn article.
2: (gasps) Okay. Okay. So let's go back up to the top of the article and talk about that because that's like three quarters of the way through. Yeah, it is. So, so why don't you give us a summary of the article now that we've uh, pointed out that clearly he's addressing conservatives about abortion.
0: He's addressing... So what what's what I appreciate is, is he basically says, like, he's not telling who he's voting for, which I think is helpful as a bigwig evangelical leader. He's not
2: exactly hiding it.
1: Well, it's at least not Trump. He's not saying what else at this point. Like, the implication it's not Trump, but he doesn't say who else it was, right? Like, he doesn't have to be Biden.
2: Right. He doesn't say...
0: Similarly, like David French did that in his debate with Mer- Eric Metaxas, he's like, just because I'm not voting for Trump doesn't mean I'm not voting doesn't mean I'm voting for Biden. But so his essentially his premise is is addressing the idea that we're voting for a like a for a for a platform versus a person, and his argument is saying we can't make essentially we can't necessarily make that distinction. One of the things that he talks about is uh, under the second section. He talks about there's a character connection between rulers and subjects. When the Bible describes a king by saying he sinned and made Israel to sin, it does not mean he twisted their arm. It means his influence shaped the people. That's the calling of a leader. Take the lead in giving shape to the character of your people so it happens for good or for ill. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before of the Republican platform is Trump. The democratic platform is Biden.
1: Explicitly. (laughs) Uh,
0: Even more explicitly in the RNC because they literally didn't bring together articles of anything. Um, But I I just thought it was so refreshing coming from Piper to speak to this, to speak to the importance of the person worse In the beginning, he says, actually, this is a long overdue article attempting to explain why I remain baffled that so many Christians consider the sins of unrepentant sexual immorality, unrepentant boastfulness, unrepentant vulgarity, unrepentant factiousness, and the like, to be only toxic for our nation, while policies that endorse baby killing, sex switching, freedom limiting, and socialistic overreach are viewed as deadly.
2: So I think that's actually the problem. Which part? That sentence right there. Actually... This is a long overdue article. Because he should have said this back in the 2016 primaries. No, because we never should have divorced politics and then married politics in the way that we have in the broader evangelical movement. Yes. The fact that we now have to come in and speak to people to give them the wisdom that we should have been giving them in the 60s when we were silent during the Cultural Revolution, and then we came up with the religious right, and now we're trying to fix these things. What we should have done 60 years ago is embraced valuing people as image bearers of God, when that was the movement that was happening culturally, not sit there silently, not say, oh, they're a bunch of hippies, say, you know what, they are, but they're speaking truth. And so as Christians, we should have come alongside of them 60 years ago and addressed the problems. And we wouldn't be sitting in the same place in 2020 as we were in 1968.
1: It's worse than that, though. Like, we didn't just sit there silently. We were actively working against it. Like, the whole reason that we have some of these pushes was... Religious light first existed as a pushback against like integration and segregation. You should look at the numbers for the number of Christian private schools that show up after Brown versus Board of Education. And then once that wasn't allowed right, once we finally actually made a national movement where you can't do that, amazingly that's when abortion becomes the talking point of the right, all right? Like we've abortion and, and homosexuality.
2: Right, in the 70s, because in the 60s is where we should have been. Like...
1: Initially, the Baptists didn't even care. Baptists were like, that's a Catholic thing. We are actually okay with abortion. Yeah, the Southern Baptist
0: Convention was okay with abortion until...
1: Most Protestants were, until they couldn't, until, until segregation was no longer an issue you could use as a single issue voter to get people to do what you wanted politically. It's always been a political bludgeon. Even if we do theologically agree with points that like all lives are sacred, it has never been used as anything other than a political tool. That's why it's existed. And it's like, so I can't, I can't even say like, if only we had just sat silently, right? Like that would actually put us in a better place than we are right now. We just pretended to sit silently, but actively worked against it. And we're pretending like we didn't.
2: Well, we did sit silently through the 60s.
1: Well, like sort of. Well, when Martin Luther King's writing letter to pastors, letter from a Birmingham jail telling other pastors, hey, why don't you understand why this is terrible?
0: And Billy Graham is telling
2: MLK to chill out. Right, we sat there silently.
1: No, I mean,
0: not not completely silently, because then you, like I said, then you had, like, Billy Graham telling Martin Luther King Jr. to, you know, sit down and wait.
2: Well, yeah, he was telling him to be silent.
1: He's like, yeah, don't make waves, yeah. don't.
2: Not only did we sit there silently, but we told other parts of the church to do the same.
0: So I I guess we can read this and historically beat our heads against the wall and say we should, shoulda, coulda, woulda. I, I think I'm more frustrated that it's taken Piper this long to, to do this.
2: It's a long overdue article. He should have been speaking out months ago, years ago, decades ago. It's not like John Piper is a spring chicken talking about this stuff. He's been speaking on Christianity for 60 years and is just now getting around to writing this.
0: We uh, And we can't necessarily assume that he would have been in the same spot or like, I mean, I guess that my question, my question, if I could have a conversation with John Piper which that probably wouldn't go well, but...
1: Yeah, he might not talk to you.
0: <laughs> he probably wouldn't talk to me. Um, My question would be, when did he come to this reality or these things? Because if this has been something, I feel like if it's one of those things that if he has been sitting on it for months and years and hasn't spoken up about it, that's immensely frustrating and feels like he...
1: It's different than if he just had an epiphany.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Like, why did it take you until two weeks before the election to say this, if you already had it? Like, is it because you you still ultimately want Trump in office because it makes your life easier as a Christian in America, but you still have this like conscience that you needed to speak out? Or is this something that Maybe it's been ta- maybe it's taken this long to 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 finally wrap his head around it, and I can't answer that for him. I, I appreciate this the at least the sentiment or the calling out, even if it seems like it's not super helpful time wise.
1: What did Piper say about Bill Clinton? Because that would tell us how long he's thought this. That's true. Cause I remember when Clinton was in like dealing with all the Lewinsky stuff, there was the right was all about the moral integrity of a leader.
0: Oh yeah, I mean that's like David French's whole introduction to in the debate between him and Eric Metaxas is like we used to have like we we set our stake on the grounds that character matters until it didn't.
2: Yeah, like October tenth, nineteen ninety eight, what John Piper said
1: leadership with the visibility and power and influence of the presidency calls for a kind of statesmanship and honor and trustworthiness and discipline and loyalty that a nation is inspired by. The president has lied and deceived and distorted truth repeatedly over the years and in these recent months has blatantly looked us in the eye and said he was not involved sexually with Miss Lewinsky. (laughs) Under oath has said he could not remember being alone with her. These lies and this manifest manipulation of language to evade truth are so unworthy of public trust. It is scarcely imaginable that any man could serve in an office of trust after such blatant public dishonesty and corruption of language. So Piper has basically decided that he was going to not say anything about it again until literally the, like, tw- 11th hour. <laughs>
2: Less than two weeks before the election, he's finally has a consistent ethic to what he said 22 years ago. Well, you know, progress. That's the pro- But that's the problem.
0: I don't think it's progress. No, I uh, that was that was tongue in cheek. Sorry. That was sarcasm.
1: Yep, I know. I was like the problem is he'll get credit for it, and that's why he did it. Right? This is like this is like YouTube and Twitter like banning QAnon stuff. They're like, "See, look, we're not the baddies. We totally can you know like we totally did the right thing." And you're like, "You did the right thing when it was going to cost you anything. You waited till you could read which way the wind was blowing." And it makes me grumpy.
0: <laughs> I still think so I guess regardless of of timing all those things, this is something that the American church needs to hear. It should have happened a long time ago. It, um, it should have been a consistent ethic from the beginning for John Piper. And I think it's okay. I think it's good to hold that accountable. But I still think it's something to be heard.
2: I think his article is amazing. Like, I like his article. I think he makes a good point. A point that I've been saying for a long time. Right. Exactly. But it's like it takes, it takes
0: the heavy hitter,
2: bigwig evangelical people to to speak to it like i don't think it does because i don't think it's going to make a difference because here's the thing i don't think anybody actually listens to john piper for a biblical perspective on anything
0: oh i i do i have plenty of people that do
2: no, i don't think so i think that they're simply going to read what they want into what he's saying the people who are already going to vote for trump aren't going to be changed based on what he says they've already made up their minds yeah So I don't think that's going to make a difference. So, like, I I think that there's a lot of things that he said that's really good. And he should have been saying it the past four years. At least. He talks about how policies can't be separated from the person who's putting them forward. So one of the big reasons that conservatives are saying, yeah, let's vote for Trump is because he is the most pro-life president in history, according to them. But a kind of person who disregards all value for human life cannot be pro-life. And that's sort of the whole point. It's, it's like, you might think you want to vote for him because he's pro-life. But when he's actively willing to kill and destroy people for his own benefit, that's not a pro-life attitude. And it leads to a generation of people who look up to somebody like that and say, that's how I'm going to be to get ahead. And it breeds more death and destruction into the future than what lives are saved now.
1: Not to mention the fact that other policies actually save more lives.
2: (laughs) Do you guys have any other thoughts? We were going to talk about how good it was that John Piper is talking about this, which it is good. But then I had to bring up that he hasn't been speaking. And that is the problem that we're facing.
0: Okay, so... I do think he has, like, spoken out on issues regarding issues with Trump throughout the last four years as far as, like, when there have been moral issues, I think. I'd have to, like, track down his Twitter and stuff,
2: but... I don't know. We can look. He's got a website. We can look at his previous posts.
1: He spends more time talking about how me and Rebecca are heretics.
2: I mean, okay, so in, in Piper's defense, since I've been keeping track of him for the last eight or so years, he has gotten... Less bad.
0: He did actually say, I'm seeing this article too, back in 2016, he basically said that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton should quit the presidential race. Like, he was like, neither of them have, like, the both of them are unqualified. So, I I mean, so he has been at least... Uh, consistent in that way because he said a clinton resignation would have been good for america's moral standards in 1998 a trump step aside would be good for america's moral standards in 2016 it's still not too late to turn the current race into unfit major party candidates into a contest fit for a great country
2: right but i think part of it and i guess we might have ragged on piper a little bit harder it's not just piper that hasn't spoken out on these issues the majority of Pastors of evangelical churches have not spoken on these issues in a thoroughgoing way that is honest to the issues, or uses scripture to actually back up their positions. It's not just a Piper problem; it's a larger evangelical problem.
0: Piper has probably actually spoken up more than a lot of other of the mainstream, like bigwig evangelical pastors.
1: I guess the good news about being reformed—you ma- don't mind making people mad. <laughs>
0: So maybe we're a little hard on it. But you get for being a bigwig, right?
1: And I think, well, it's like, it's even people who care about this stuff, we hadn't really seen his stuff come out. So I think that's telling In the sense that people who care, we didn't see it, right? Which is, it means the other people are still getting more press. And so that's that's telling, like, like we all were saying about the current state of like evangelical culture in America is that even people who care about these issues, we had no idea that he'd said some of that stuff because the other thing was what was taking all of the attention.
0: And And so maybe even the people who were piper fans didn't actually that those things didn't get as much as many clicks or they just didn't want to have their little bubble broken so
2: oh right and and i think like i said i think that piper he has been more consistent than most you know and and as much as i disagree with piper on a lot of things he at least is fair and he sticks to what he thinks is right he he isn't one of those people who just goes with what's popular so you know
0: even in his like doctrine or theologies of of like gender roles and women in ministry he's more consistent at least than than most like if he if he doesn't think women should be pastors or be in authority as pastors then he's at least consistent and says well yeah they shouldn't be in other positions of authority either like Which, again, I don't agree with, but at least he's consistent. Thanks for listening to the Barely Saved Podcast. Make sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes, links, and show notes at
1: BarelySavedPodcast.com. Bye!